0: Carol, I'm probably going to touch on that a little bit, too. We're going to have, oh my gosh, this is, this is turning into something here today, folks. Pastor Cameron asked me to talk about this. I'm going to use two of them. <laughs> And I'll tell you, it's, it's a terrifying thing. Because, first, a couple of reasons. One, our pastor is a wonderful teacher and communicator. For anyone that's new here, he does an excellent job at communicating the gospel. Um, And that's one of the things that I really, uh, really respect about him so much. Um, The other thing is, I'll tell you what. Paul talks about, he says, I determined while I was among you to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, when we look at there was a guy named Philip, I, I'm not even, we'll get to the notes, we'll get there. We've just got to lay a little groundwork here. Um, f- there was a deacon, his name's Philip, and he's going and he, the Holy Spirit tells him, catch up to that chariot. He goes, there's an Ethiopian eunuch that is reading out of the scroll of Isaiah and he's reading, and he doesn't understand what he's reading, and Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, no, how can I understand unless someone teaches me? And what the Bible says is, it says, he started there and taught Jesus to him. And so, that's when I open up this book, what we're dealing with is what, what it describes as the mystery of God revealed, and so it's, I feel, I told Ellen, I feel like, you know, I don't care where you open this up, it's a terrifying thing, because you're swimming in water that's about 5,000 feet deep, and I'm supposed to just stroll across it in the next 45 minutes, so God help me. (laughs) We don't stand a chance. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So a little bit about me, Um, I'm Eric, I'm married to Stacy over here, Um, my beautiful wife, the mother of my four children. Um, Is everyone in Acts 3 close enough? You can use a Bible, you can use a phone, anything else, hopefully. Jake, have you had time to get it up here? Nope. I'm going to start at verse 1. Yeah, that one. we'll read it. Now, Peter and John, these are two disciples that walked with Jesus when Jesus was on the earth. These are two men, intimately walked with him. Uh, This is shortly after Jesus was resurrected, crucified, and resurrected. It says, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. For anyone curious, that's about three o'clock in the afternoon. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave him. He gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Um... I'm going to actually keep going on just a little bit. As the lame man, this is verse 11, who was healed, held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us, as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, The God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. You denied the Holy One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. His name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him him, has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Um, so I've got a grandfather who is in the Rouse home right now, and he's, he he had COVID and he had a series of strokes and his brain is, three months ago, he could like almost not talk at all. Um, just whatever that does to the oxygen, getting to different nerve endings and stuff in your brain, it was, he was not completely a vegetable, but not very far from it. And uh, a lot of that has come back, but he's still super confused. And so I try to get down and see him at least once a week. I drop my boys off at, uh, at school, and then I like to stop in and try to see him once a week. And uh, one of the things that I always do, because lots of the things that he still says, it's like, it makes no sense. He's just... His his mind is somewhere else, and he's he's training horses or selling horses or riding motorcycles through Russell, and he just he is he's everywhere but here. And uh, so one of the things I do is I'll go in and I'll like I stopped and visited him Friday morning, and morning Grandpa, and you sit down and talk to him, and well, it's Friday, uh, whatever May seventh, it's about quarter after eight. And just to try to get him, tell him about what the weather is and try to get him, bring him from all over the place, a little bit into reality. And I was actually talking to my dad about, about that the other day and just telling him that this is what I've been doing. And he says, well, yeah, that's, that's what you're supposed to do. They have a term for that with people with Alzheimer's and dementia and stuff. It's called reality orientation. And I said, oh, my gosh. That's what I want to talk about. Because Cameron had given me, like, this passage, and I'm like, I I don't know. I kind of know the general shadow of where I want to go, but then I heard that word, I was like, yes, that's it. Reality orientation. And uh, so Peter and John, there's so much here. I want to talk a little bit about this lame man's reality i got to get an idea for where we're at for time, too. 10.50. No one had Mother's Day lunch plans, right? <laughs> no one? No one? No. Um, so what was this lame man's reality? He's. This is before they, they had, like, no social programs to help him. He was a Jew living in a Roman world he would have had virtually no rights. And let's look at where he's sitting. He's lame from his mother's womb. We find out later that it was over 40 years. And one of the things that uh, Pastor Cameron actually brought to my attention is there's something about that 40 years where it's like, if, if you have a condition for 40 years, that was like the threshold where this is your lot. Like this is, it's an unchangeable, unfixable, this is what you are, it's established. Like we can say in the eyes of God or whatever, it doesn't matter because um, one of the things about humans is we tend to make our perception is reality. And the way that we see things is the way that we respond to that reality. And so he's, he's sitting at the temple gate the first thing, he's outside of the temple. This is a Jew sitting outside the temple that probably never went in. So he's sitting there and just, I'm, I'm trying to just get this reality in my head of where he would have been. It, I, need a, I need a temple gate. Stairs over here are going to be the temple gate. And he's laying here and they call the gate beautiful. And do you think in the past 40 years of someone walking by, they made a a verbal acknowledgement of the contrast? That we have a broken, lame man that would have been completely poor, probably super dirty, no contribution to society, at the beautiful gate man. And he's outside the temple. So you've got people going in and out. They go in and they would be having, they'd be teaching and they'd be going in there and probably buying some doves and offering it to the priests and doing all these things as good Jews and walking out and feeling completely justified and he's still laying there for 40 years, to the point where, according to their customs, this is your lot. And I think we can see that a little bit just in the terminology uh, back in verse 3. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask for alms. And listen, listen to the way that this reads. Fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. The dude is so broken, laying over here. Maybe had a little cup or something that he was raising up. And Peter has to say, Look at me. Do you see the defeat there in this guy? Completely defeated didn't even look up to the people that were walking into the temple. Look at us. Silver and gold I don't have, but in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Thank you, sir. I desperately needed that, if I'm honest. I've had straight coffee today, and I'm like... (laughs) My throat is telling me, Eric, you got to do something other than coffee one of these days. (laughs) Oh, but I like it too much. (laughs) We're going to move on from that story just a little bit. Uh, Just for now. Um, And we're going to address the crowd. So Peter and John aren't the only people walking into the temple. There's a group of people because this is the hour of prayer. There's a group of people walking in and they see what happened and they're all astonished and amazed. No kidding. (laughs) Okay, this is like one of the... Sometimes when you're reading through this, like, we read through the Bible or we listen to it or whatever and we don't, like, just stop and think about seriously? In verse 12, Peter saw that everyone was standing around like this. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Was that a rhetorical question? Or I've kind of gone back and forth on this. Why do you marvel at this? I don't think it was a rhetorical question. I've come to the conclusion I don't think it was. I think Peter isn't an idiot, and he understands enough about science and medicine and lame guys laying here that he knew that something out of the ordinary had happened. But listen to what he says. He immediately goes into the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. He says, yeah, okay, we've got a lame man here that now walks. You think that's something? Let me tell you a story. <laughs> that, that's serious. Like that, He's unimpressed. He's like, yeah, okay, a lame man walks. There's a story here that you've got to get. There's something a lot bigger here going on than a man being made whole. What was this crowd's reality? We've got a lame man, and his reality is he's laying there. I I think you could make the argument that he's feeling very stuck in his own sin because he can't go into the temple to make atonement for it. Absolutely broken, absolutely destitute, absolutely alone, except for a couple people, if he can convince them to carry him to the temple every day. So, what's the crowd's reality? Peter worked a miracle. Did Peter work a miracle? Why do you marvel at this, or why look so intently at this, as though through our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Carol, I appreciate what you had to say about me. None of my own godliness. I hope you all hear that. I mean that. The only reason why Eric Clark's name means anything, and I'll tell you the truth, is because, I don't know, six, seven years ago, we're building a house and I was, we didn't have enough money to basically finish it and pay contractors. So I was doing a lot of it in the middle of the night by myself. And i go up and it's like, either I'm going to stick your in and listen to the Bible, or I'm going to go up there and be totally lonely and discouraged and whatever, and probably just drink all night. And I hope I chose wisely. I think I did, because I stuck a little earbuds in, and I said, honestly, here's what I said. I said, God, I must know you. If you are knowable, I must know you, because this life sucks without you. It's not that I don't have nice things, I have a beautiful family, I have a nice house, I have a good job, I have a company truck. (laughs) But if I don't know the source, the prince of life, if I don't know him, then my gosh, it's all empty. It's so shallow. Save for the family. The family's awesome. I'd keep them. <laughs> but seriously, the rest of it that we just we aspire to attain to and it's just so stupid that I said, I have to know you. And that's, that's honestly what I pursued. And that's honestly why the only, that's the only reason that when the wheels were falling off here and I said, man, it looks like a wheel's falling off, how I could step in and say, I only have one thing to offer, and that's the hope of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing I will ever have to offer. And I will even go more specifically and say the hope of Jesus Christ as found in this book. I don't know how I get on some of the tangents I get on. This is why I said, God, help me. <laughs> <laughs> so the crowd's reality. I haven't got notes, so I can... Peter worked a miracle. Did Peter work a miracle? No. Faith in Jesus made the man whole. Then Peter goes on to say, you murdered the prince of life. I understand what he's saying. Is that theologically accurate? Did this crowd, even though they're out out here yelling before the court and everything, Barabbas, give us Barabbas, that's what he's referencing here. He says, you, you asked for a robber and a murderer, and you murdered the Prince of Life. So he's making the contrast. You are the same ones that were standing yelling for Barabbas. You murdered the Prince of Life. Did they murder the Prince of Life? This is huge. Christ laid down his life. This is, and this is, I, this, I, if I get into this too far, it's going to be an entire another sermon, so we're going to have to just be very careful here. <laughs> the Lamb of God laid down his life before the foundations of the earth. Jesus said, no man takes my life but I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to raise it up. What's their second, or their third reality? They're stuck in their sin. If this man, who we called for to be murdered so that we could get a murderer out, and we called for the murder of the Prince of Life, we call for his killing, then I'm screwed. Because I just called for the the murder of the Prince of Life. What's the reality? Jesus bore their sin. He has laid the iniquity of us all on him. I'm going to move on because I'm going to try to be very quick on that, except for one thing. In verse 17. Yet, now, brethren, we're still in chapter 3, right there it is. I know you acted in ignorance, as also did your rulers, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. So here he offers the response, simple enough response. You've burned a pretty serious bridge, you're stuck, Repent, therefore, in verse 19. Repent and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. When we talk about repentance, he offers them such a simple solution. This is a guy that had... He just made a lame man walk that had been laying there for 40 years. I don't know if anyone else can, you know, just I can get a pretty solid correlation that we got a lame guy laying over here. So if anyone's wondering when I point over here, I still got a lame guy laying there. <laughs> I still got a lame guy and I got a temple gate. We're all still hanging out out here with the crowds. He makes a lame man walk. 40 years in, he's got their solid attention. He says, repent and be converted. We use this word so much, and I've heard so many teaching on, teachings on this, and I'm still convinced that we don't see it. I have to It's so hard to walk in this, even though I'm convinced that as I go to my grandpa on a Friday morning and tell him what the day is, this is I have to be, I have to be. Reeled back in, here's reality. This is is the reality of your situation. I know this book well enough to come up here and think, sure, I could go up and I could teach a sermon. Guys, I have to repent from that. I have to forsake my own knowledge. I have to forsake my own idea of righteousness. Forsake it all. Here's a super easy thing to fall into. Your pastor comes out to you on a Sunday afternoon and says, hey, would you preach for me? You want to know what the first thought that goes through your head is? Sure, I better start making sure I'm really walking in line so the good Lord uses me. (laughs) I'm serious. That's just, that's just, just the, it's the first thing. Oh my gosh, you got to go fill shoes in the good, in the house of the good Lord. You better make sure you're walking in line, friend. It sounds silly, but it's, it's the, it's just my truth. When did God act on behalf of the man over here? when he was still broken. He didn't get up and show how strong he was before God said, oh, I'll meet that. Nope. Nope, he's still laying over there broken. And then the power of God touches him. For this crowd to repent, What what does that even mean? I know for me, it means I have to, they say to repent means change the way you think, or to turn around, to do a complete 180. So I'm going this way, and I'm convinced that if I walk this straight line and I do good, then I can make God happy. That's apostasy. That's saying that I can save myself by being a good enough deal. No, no. The only way that I can present myself clean before my king is to forsake my own righteousness. It's to forsake the idea that I can do anything apart from Christ that amounts to anything. It's to say, I lean completely on the one who hung on a tree that looks a lot like this one up here. And his righteousness, seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you i'm not seeking my own righteousness i'm seeking to come under his righteousness and that's it, it sounds so simple like I feel, we say this stuff all the time you just have to repent Man, but but when the rubber meets the road and i find myself walking up here on a sunday morning I have to repent of thinking that I can bring something sufficient to the king apart from his, apart from his power. We're talking about the mystery of, we're talking about the mystery of God. Like, it's, it's a big deal. So Peter and John, they get arrested, obviously, because anyone that works a miracle should get arrested. Interesting story, though. Maybe like 1907-ish. Spokane, Washington. John G. Lake. In in America. got arrested for practicing medicine without a license because he had so documented healings under his ministry. Super interesting. So, yes, even in the 20th century, someone has gotten arrested for healing. Um, So Peter and John, the... uh, the Sanhedrin, uh, basically the Jewish leaders, they show up, say, what's going on here? Oh, they just worked a miracle in Jesus' name. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> just about done. Heard enough of that name. <laughs> so they ask him, and uh, I'm over on chapter 4, verse 7 now. When they had set them in their midst, this is in the midst of all the Jewish rulers, they say, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if this day we are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. So, what's the Sanhedrin's reality that they're walking in? Their reality, their lens through which they are seeing the world. A miracle had occurred. I will grant them a miracle had occurred. We're going to go into verse 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, They marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. I've always read that verse and thought, man, isn't that awesome? They look at how these guys are acting, and they say, man, honest to God, I think he's been with Jesus. But think about how they saw Jesus. They're still convinced, and we're going to find out in a couple more chapters, they said, we remember this deceiver said that he would raise from the dead. They're still calling him the deceiver. They're not real impressed right now with Peter and John healing a, healing a lame man. They're convinced that it's, they're either still working through the powers of Beelzebub, or it's some trick, but it's anything but the power of God. They're still convinced that Jesus was a deceiver, and they say they've been with that deceiver. They're drinking the same juice. They're buying into the same lies. What's the reality of that? According to Scripture, Jesus came to testify to the truth. He stands before Pilate, and he says, For this reason I came, and for this reason I was born, to testify to the truth. He also says... I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he comes to testify to the truth, but he also 100% embodies truth. Pilate says, what is truth? And we never get an answer to that, but I, I think it's a very loaded question. The Sanhedrin's reality would be that the disciples must be silenced. Um, we're going we're gonna to get on that one later. And they were convinced that they were pure. The Sanhedrin, the leaders of the Jews, these are the people that they would have been teaching the law, teaching the Old Testament, teaching what we have for you know two-thirds of this book. Many of them would have had just about that much close to, or a lot of that memorized. Certainly the first five books, the majority of psalms, and they knew the prophets. That's what they spent their life doing, is learning that. And they were very convinced that because they go into the temple, and they offer up their doves, and they... They have their sacrifices and put in their grain offering, that they were pure. They were right standing before God. What's the reality? They absolutely refuse to repent. They repent. They're relying on their own righteousness, which can't save them. And I'm convinced that their sin remained. I've never seen time go so fast, this is a mess. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, I'm only, I, I've only done that one. I still got that one. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay, God help us. We're gonna try to wrap this up in like 3.2 minutes. I can't. Okay, what's my reality? Today's Mother's Day. I feel like Mother's Day as with, okay, maybe, maybe not Mother's Day, I can't speak for mothers, but I know how I feel on Father's Day. I feel the same as I feel on New Year's. It's kind of a mixed bag. <laughs> it is. It's, it's kind of like it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, Dad, you're so awesome. It's like, man, I almost feel into it, go into it with like a little bit of, I, I, I didn't really give it what I had. You know, and the same with I come to the end of the year, happy New Year, and it's always like I look back and I think, man, what the heck did I just do with that whole year? I just squandered and wasted it. And I think a lot of us are walking around in the perceived reality of of the lame man laying over here, or the crowds that are, oh my impressed with some like... It's not that we shouldn't be impressed with the miraculous and the things that we see God do, but if we're more impressed with that than we are with the name of Jesus and the work of the cross, then I'm telling you we've missed something. So I wish I had more time. I would need just another hour is all. (laughs) Um... Critically what we need to end on. Um, I do want you all to see this because I think it's super important. There was a lame man healed. Peter does not appeal to the lame man's healing as a validation that Jesus was who he said he was. There's power in that name that's unquestioned. But that doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus was who he says he is. What Peter three times appeals to He says it to the lame man, or, actually, no, I'm sorry, I didn't even make it to the end of our passage, but we're going to touch on it super quick. He says to the crowds, he says to the Sanhedrin, and then he brings up, lastly, confirmation in prayer for boldness. He says that this Christ, by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. He comes over and he says to the Sanhedrin, Um, that the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who he crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man was healed. This is the stone, he's quoting from um, one of the prophets here. Psalms 118, actually. Uh, This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. And again, over when he's praying the prayer for boldness, this is in the midst of a prayer. He says... Your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand desired, or to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. This is so important. He appeals to prophecy, fulfilled prophecy, that Jesus the Christ is who he says he was. And this as I've been thinking about this, I, there's, there's 17 different roads I could have taken with this. Um, but I can tell you honestly what's been absolutely pivotal in my life is understanding that there was a historical man named Jesus of Nazareth. He fulfilled prophecy that was written by, this was so, super quick, there was uh, alexander the great comes over takes over the babylonian empire establishes the greek empire this was like 300 almost 400 years before christ during that time everyone spoke greek they took 70 or 72 that number is debated jewish scholars and wrote what's called the septuagint whatever we have of the ancient hebrew To an extent, like it's yes, it's important, but to an extent, it's irrelevant because the Septuagint is absolutely undisputable that it was in existence and it was written down before Christ walked the earth. Three hundred years before Christ walked the earth, he fulfilled hundreds of prophecies that were written in there. But this is history. This is this. I'm I'm telling. The signs and wonders are awesome. But what has changed my life and my view of this book is personally going through and understanding that this much was it's, it's historically reliable. Um, there's, there's so much more I want to get into, but I'm out of time, so I don't know how to end this other than to say, Alan, bail me out. Because <laughs> I was supposed to be wrapping it up, right? It's 11-21. No, we'll, we'll, we'll give it up with the, uh, the, the whatever, benediction type deal.